It's a Fooditor special report, Michelin Chicago 2020. Michelin actually made some interesting picks this year. And so I, Michael Gebert of Fooditor, decided to jump on Skype with Anthony Todd, who writes for Chicago Mag and other things. Anthony, working for mainstream media, got advanced word of the winners and had already interviewed an anonymous Michelin inspector. I, coming from an underground punk zine that rejects the establishment man, was reacting to the news just as it happened. Which, to sum up in advance before our conversation, was no changes above one star and new one star awards to Next, Mako, Kiko, which is part of Kamiko, Omakase Yume, and Yugen. This is, this is an interesting year. Well, let's talk about that. Let's start with all the new three-star yeah. restaurants. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the overwhelming number of new three-star restaurants in the city of Chicago. As usual, nothing has moved at the top of the list. No. I mean, I can't say. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any feelings that something should have moved at the top of the list? I don't know, but I do have strong feelings about that. I'd, I'd move Oriel up to three because I just think it's so warm and charming. Uh, our mutual friend Eric has a theory that if Oriel and Smith merged, they would form the perfect Michelin restaurant and could finally get three stars. I think that's fair. I think I w- I, it's interesting you say that about Oriol because I feel the exact same way about Smith. Um, I don't. I, I love Oriol, but I don't love Oriol as much as you do. But I love Smith as much as you love Oriol. I think that's my favorite restaurant in town for fine dining right now. So I would love it if they got three stars, but then I'd never be able to get in, and they'd raise their prices twenty percent. Right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't argue with either one of those. I mean, I think they're the the most exceptional high-end meals to be had in Chicago right now for fairly different reasons. Oriel is just warm and nurturing and lovely, and Smith is the most mad scientist-y interesting, but not in a not in a linear magic trick way, but more like, what if we took an egg and did this to it? What if we took celery and did this to it? Yeah, exactly. And I can't say that there's anything. I can't say there's anything on the one star list where I'm like, this should be higher. I think most of the things on the one star list, I'm pretty much like, they should be one stars. There's things that aren't on the list at all that I think should be one stars. But I guess I'm saying. But I guess what I'm saying is that, yeah, as per usual, the high end list didn't change, and I don't really care. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get to one stars, where all the action is. And to me, this has always been one of the deficiencies of Michelin, is the way they're the way they're thinking about what each star represents works out is they cram the one star list full of things. So you have no way of knowing, you know, is there a distinction between Everest and Mako and Parachute and Schwa that exists in their head? They all get one stars. They're all exactly equal. They are exactly the same. Yeah, they're kind of, and they're obviously incomparable. Like many of these restaurants are in completely different categories or classes. And I will say, you know, as per usual, when I talk to the Michelin inspector, I got a kind of by rote answer, as you would imagine. I'm sure he gave the same interview 12 times today, but I got the same sort of by rote answer of, you know, all we care about is our five criteria. And if something meets the five criteria, boom, star. If something doesn't meet the five criteria, doesn't matter not a star and that's the problem with kind of a binary ranking system is you either have one or you don't and that's it like there's no there's not really a lot of choice they can give you right well if there's five criteria there should be a way to distinguish between how they meet i mean they're all exactly equal those five criteria who knows um, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, it, it's never been clear to me. I don't think, I mean, they don't have any responsibility to make it clear to me, but it does make it a little less useful for the, for the list, especially if you're a consumer. 
Right. I mean, there's, what are there? You probably wrote the number somewhere, you I, know, 18 or 22 or whatever there are, one stars. <laughs> I um, should have written the number. Yeah. But whatever it is, there's no ranking to it. So how does that help you? I mean, I could rattle off 22 really good restaurants in Chicago right now, and you just kind of sit there slack-jawed going, um, can you tell me one or two? Because yeah. that would be useful. But Exactly. I guess exactly. You have to, you have to read, read the reviews, which no one has ever done in the history of Michelin. <laughs> they don't send me a copy of the book anymore, so I actually haven't read any of the reviews. It is weird that I mean, in some, it must be the the most comprehensive guide to Chicago restaurants in the sense that it's got I don't know two three hundred in it. Surely, yeah, they don't all. And get they're paying a lot of money to people to write to them. I don't, them, you know. and no one, no one reads it. I mean, seriously, the only time I've ever seen anyone with a copy of it in their possession was during beard week. Once I saw a guy crossing Randolph street with the unmistakable red book in his hand. So one guy from out of town has looked at the Michelin <laughs> book and read it. Through Someone, I mean, they're, they are a business. Someone must've actually bought this or read it at some point. They wouldn't continue to rank Chicago restaurants at great expense just to do it. You know, they make some money on this somewhere. Yeah. I think they sell them in bulk lots a lot. Yeah. Uh, that makes more sense. than they sell. Corporate gift. All right, well, let's, uh, let's talk about who is new to the list. And the first thing I suppose we have to talk about, I mean, it's all kind of, is there anything that's not basically omakase? That... It's overwhelmingly Asian. It's not 100% Asian and Japanese inspired, but it is all but one, I think. All but one of the new restaurants is Japanese, which is, I got to admit, I, I know that this is a trend in Chicago dining right now of the omakase places, but the fact that the, lit, the new stars were just so overwhelmingly slam dunk Japanese either means Chicago is suddenly the best Japanese dining city in America, <laughs> which I don't believe, or someone at Michelin has an unbelievable obsession with Japanese food, which makes sense in a certain way. Like, Japanese cuisine feels like it lends itself to the Michelin criteria treatment a lot better than a lot of the messy other kinds of cuisine that you see in Chicago that are sometimes more interesting. You know, it's very pristine and it's very simple, and you can evaluate it very easily on the quality of the ingredients. You know, the service, such as it is at these omakase places, is usually incredibly attentive. So, like, they feel custom built to hit the five Michelin criteria. <laughs> At the same time, it is kind of overwhelming that suddenly the entire Michelin list is Japanese. Why all these places are new? I mean, these are all places that literally did not exist last spring, a year ago spring. I don't yeah. know, you know, whenever they started opening, I don't know who was first offhand, but you know, it's it's basically a genre that's existed here for a year because it didn't really ex I mean kind of existed sorta but it was clearly a deficiency that we all felt on the Chicago scene was high end Japanese and suddenly it's everywhere and yeah like you say are we really that good at it I don't know I mean, apparently or is it just novel. And by the way, I will say it, it, it is. I have to bring it up because it's not. It's the obvious point. But there were three major high-end omakase restaurants in Chicago. If you don't count, I mean, Kiko is called something different. Five, three high-end sushi-based omakase restaurants that opened in Chicago this year. Two got Michelin stars. The other got nothing. And the inspector was not particularly kind to them to Kyoten when I asked about it. They were they were willing to go out there and say it just wasn't up to our standards, which kind of shocks me, especially given, as I point out in my article that came out today, the, 
the chef at Kyoten is probably the most vociferous on, in the universe of insisting that he was going to get a Michelin star. And also, I mean, when I interviewed him, it was that Michelin was actually good at judging sushi, whatever else they might or might not be good at. Uh, and boy, they sure, yeah, they, they totally dumped on him by, by comparison. Uh, now, I really like Mako. I think it's very good. I think Kyoten's better. But uh, so I have no problem with that. I haven't been to Omakase Yume, so I don't know. Um, years ago, I went to Izakaya Yume, which is up in Niles or something, which is the same owner, chef, something or other. Um, and all I really remember is that they washed out their oysters after opening them, which kind of. I hate that. Uh, that's that like, is a thing that I despise. Yeah, that, it's like I was kind of checked out mentally as soon as I saw that happening. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that makes sense. But in any case, I'm I'm not I'm not surprised that it happened because as I said, it seems custom built for Michelin. I am surprised that Kyoten got ignored. Um or not ignored, disregarded. <laughs> like like they, yeah. they didn't ignore it. They went several times and didn't like it. Um I'm not at all surprised by Kiko. I haven't I've only been to Kumiko, I haven't been to Kiko, but that doesn't surprise me at all based on the reviews it's been getting. The fourth one is the Wacko Wild Card, and I brought it up with the inspector. Like I the fact that Yugen is on this list is very surprising to me. Yeah, same here. I mean <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't been, but it's a place that no one has really been more than sort of slightly positive about this or that item on the menu. Certainly not, you know, if Michelin treasures consistency, I've never seen anyone say anything that came close to, this is consistently good. No, and the, I mean, the, the review in my own publication was very mediocre. Not the review was well-written. The restaurant was mediocre. The other thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, obviously Michelin can sometimes help revive a restaurant, but, you know, does, it, it, it feels weird that Michelin is giving a, this kind of attention to a restaurant that it feels like has basically failed before it got its star. You know, I will admit, I was at Yugen, or I was in their cocktail lounge, I think it was last Wednesday or last Tuesday, and on a you know, visit to the restroom, I peeked my head in their dining room, and it was literally empty. Not sparsely populated, not there's one table in the corner. There was no one dining there at an open restaurant at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night. In the West and Loop. Like, in the West Loop. And it's like, and there, there, I will say there was one other couple. I was, with a, I was with a friend. There was one other couple in their cocktail lounge, and that was it. So maybe Michelin will save them, but it seems odd. What, what that basically says to me is the, the wisdom, the collective wisdom of the entire Chicago dining scene is wrong, and somehow Michelin is right. Because I will say, like, you know, cream does tend to rise to the top in restaurant world. Like, yeah, there's hidden gems, but if something's at this level – and no one's going to it, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, early on, I think there was resentment of, you know, just the the, the bad juju going on between the owner and which, the, which, the ex-grace. By the way, which, by the way, is mentioned in their press release. I think that's the only time I've ever seen this for Michelin. They literally, the blurb they have on Yugen says in the former grace space, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't. I can't. Nothing else on the list mentions the restaurant that was previously in the space, except for Yugen's. Like, even Michelin is contributing to this like ghostly appearance of this poor restaurant. Yeah. Lid is uh, in the former uh, the <laughs> Mac Mac 
Kelly Green's, uh, <laughs> Matt Green's, whatever it was. Uh, right, exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, aside from that, you know, the only other big addition to the list was Next, which honestly shocked the hell out of me. Like, I was, out of the things I expected to hit the list this year, that was not even on my radar. Um, but there it is. And, you know, the inspector was pretty clear with me because I asked him, like, this, is, this seems wacko that, you know, this has been a possibility to be on the list since either year one or year two that Michelin has existed. I'm trying to think. I think Next opened in 2011, and that was the first year for Michelin. Something, something like that. It's Early close. On. And I remember the first book, it was very clear that the only menu they'd managed to get into was the vegan one. Because that's all they it, talked about, and then they were kind of, <laughs> like, vague about other stuff. And I'd asked them, both last year and the year before, I'd asked the, the interviewer, you know, hey, what about next? And the response was very clear and very concise, which is we don't think it's got the consistency. You know, it's not that it's bad. It's that it's, from menu to menu to menu, it's not just that the cuisine changes. It's that there are good menus and there are bad menus and that that's not acceptable. And this year they told me not only did they bend the all of the menus, but that they were all consistent. And they, he literally said, you know, the fifth of our criteria is consistency. That was what was stopping Next from making it four. They fixed that. Now they get on it. That said, it also may be that there's a quota of stars that the Alinea Group is allowed to have because Next got it and Royster lost it. I was just <laughs> so, thinking that. So where's, where's St. Clair Supper Club? Come on. Uh, yeah, right? They're, they're certainly gonna consistent. Gonna it's going to be <laughs> you are consistently served medium rare prime rib. We know that. Mm-hmm. I can't say I'm Were you surprised about Royster? I can't say I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. It, it, Royster is the most confounding restaurant for me as someone who's going to observe restaurants and potentially write about them. In that it's been completely different every time I've gone. Sometimes it's been very good. Sometimes things have been mixed. But I, I've been three times and like you, you could not convince me, you know, just looking at the food that they all came from the same restaurant. Yeah, and I, I've I've eaten there twice on my own dime that wasn't on an event or something else, and um, I've enjoyed it both times. Though I've got to say, the last time was since before uh, Chef Brochu left. And, but I, you know, I've never quite understood the the hype. I wouldn't say it didn't deserve a star before. The meal I had was certainly worthy, but um, I I wasn't all that surprised that it that it lost its star. Um, I will say that. Um, the other, the other loser doesn't surprise me in the least, um, which is Dusex. As much as I enjoy yeah. Dusex and go for it regularly, I feel like that was probably overdue. Like I was kind of surprised they didn't lose it last year, frankly. Well, you mentioned um, Jared Wentworth leaving, but also Henry Hill left, who was yeah, exactly the, the guy on uh, you know on the spot most of the time. And yeah, I feel it, it has not uh, kept up since then. I was a little nervous about. Band of Bohemia, not because I think it's gotten any worse. I've I've enjoyed it a lot this year, but because you know, like next with Brochu, they've had yeah. some chef shuffle issues, and I'm sort of I, I hope that it's not because Michelin only went at the right moment, <laughs> yeah. uh, because otherwise their guide blurb is going to be very different than what's actually served at the restaurant. But you know, I'm as a as a Lincoln Square Ravenswooder, I'm certainly glad to be unnaturally represented in the Michelin list. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess that only leaves the, like, what the hell did they ignore question, right? Well, fat rice, as always. Jesus uh, Christ, I can't yeah. even. And it's one of those things that's like, here's, here's the thing that gets me about fat rice. that actually makes me angry. You know, I've said it on and on. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel about how the Bib Gourmands are bullshit. But the Bib Gourmands are bullshit. Their own criteria doesn't fit any of the restaurants that they 
give it to the idea that it fits this sort of dining with the appetizer entree glass of wine, $40, like whatever the exact criteria is, it doesn't actually work for most of the restaurants. The math doesn't line up. One place where the math actually would line up would be fat rice. Yeah. <laughs> like you can actually have a really nice inexpensive meal there. And it's innovative and it's iconic and it just mystifies me how they ignore it in all categories. Like, Wait, isn't especially it, given that they have a boner for Asian food right now. It's on the bib list, uh, though, now, isn't it? Is it on the bib list now? It is Thank on goodness. the bib list. Okay. Oh, no, still, no, no, no. Oh, you're right. Sorry. It was SKY that I noted didn't get anything. That was yeah, the one that's completely – SKY is completely ignored. That's the one that's Asian that's completely ignored that was surprising to me. Pat Rice does have a bib. You're right. Correction. Yeah. No, and a few places that seem more charming – you know, for a visitor from out of town, you get to see a little bit of the city that's not downtown. Uh, you have a reasonably priced meal. You know, it's it's warm hospitality and interesting food. That uh, you know, how, I don't know how they don't see that. I don't know how they don't see that either. And like I said, especially given, especially given the fact that it seems like whatever inspector or inspectors is making the Chicago decisions has an obsession with Asian food. And I said that, you know, I said the same thing in my article about Passerotto. That confuses me too. You know, even if, and I can see maybe making the argument that it's not quite at Michelin star level. That said, it's gotten a hell of a lot better reviews over the last year and a half than Yugen ever did. Most um, things and I've I certainly enjoyed my meals there quite a bit. So that was that was sort of I was sort of vaguely hoping that they would be a shadow candidate, um, but apparently not. All right, now let's talk about one that did not make it. Uh, someone else who has been vocal about thinking he deserved it. Uh, he just called <laughs> called on his own Instagram account his restaurant the best restaurant in the city. Uh, Jake Bickelhop, Jacob Bickelhop these days, uh, with Stone Flower. I kind of thought they might give him one or two because he had two in the past at 42 grams. Yep. Uh, and they might just say, you know, it's not our job to judge everybody's private life. Uh, you know, the Venice Film Festival just gave an award to a movie directed by Roman Polanski, <laughs> basically right. saying uh, the film and the person are separate. It's a little harder to say that about a restaurant, especially a restaurant where you're sitting facing the chef as he, you know, cooks stuff and hands it to you. Um, but I thought they might go for it. And then there's another one like Yugen that we would have kind of pretended didn't exist on our local media scene for a while here. Uh, didn't turn out that way. Yeah, it is interesting, though, because it's... It to take a slightly broader view and not talk about uh, that chef, though I'm happy to go back to it, that the entire uh, <laughs> genesis, like the whole line of that 42 grams seems to have been cursed because Kearney also insisted to me up down in center that Brass Hart was going to get a Michelin star in its first year, and that got completely ignored too. I don't know that that's unjustified. but So that the, what's in the former 42 grams space got ignored. Bickelhop's restaurant, the former 42 gram chef, got ignored. It's, maybe they're just leaving, <laughs> washing their hands of the entire skeleton of that yeah. restaurant. Well, I mean, that's, um, what, that's what local food media has sort of done, but I thought Michelin yep. might take a different tack. One way, of, one way of thinking about that, though, for me, is that, you know, obviously Michelin got really obsessed in the 42 grams era, as we all did, with this chef counter restaurant idea. And it feels like they still are. They're just only obsessed with the ones that are Japanese. And so it may be that, that that's just where their head was at this year, that they really like that concept, but that the omakase-style restaurants are either doing it better or doing it more calmly and obviously doing it without any of the interpersonal drama that 
you know, a stone flower is, that it's, you know, just look, if we're going to send somebody somewhere, this is going to in some ways be a lot more predictable for an out-of-towner. You know, if you get tickets to this high-end omakase restaurant, you basically know what you're getting in a way that you don't necessarily know if you're going to a stone flower. And more importantly, you don't have to worry about the drama. So yeah. I'm genuinely surprised that Jong didn't get one, but maybe next year. Well, I would have said, I would have said they're too young, but so is Omakase Yume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and you know, it's, he's, he's at a second restaurant, too, second cell-phoned restaurant. I can see them trotting out their usual line about, oh, we have to think about it and see over time. I think that's BS. I think, uh, I mean, I've had two meals at Jong. I ordered two different ways. I had a consistently excellent experience both times. You're missing what's going on in a place, I think, if you ignore a place like that. Especially, once again, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's too much of an obvious point not to make, which is, given that they have an obsession with Asian fine dining this year, it seems like it's weird, because they, they didn't open that far apart, and it is just baffling to me that Yugen gets it and Jong doesn't. And that's not just speaking as a biased member of the Chicago food media. Like, from what I've heard, what I've experienced, what I've heard from literally everybody in terms of dining experience, that's just a misjudgment call. Yeah. Um, I think they like Asian dining in general very traditionally. I mean, I think what you look at with all these things is if people are, like, playing around with it too much, they're not really interested. You know, fat rice is, is very much a fusion cuisine somewhat invented on the fly by them. Uh, yep. <laughs> that, uh, you know, only parts of it actually exist in the real world, but it's all cool. And, the, you know, there's a little bit of that with Jiang, too, which is, you know, as French as it's Korean. And maybe that's just too weird for them. Or maybe it's just their, you know, we, we're not giving a, a star for French food to anybody who is not French. So... Obviously, and then the only like the only one I the only other one I called out um, is too new. You know, I I will be very surprised if Wherewithal does not get a star next year. That would shock me, given that how good they are out of the gate and how Michelin has already shown that they don't hate those chefs. Right. Um, but it's pro- probably too early, and I I say that even understanding that the early thing is bullshit. Like it, that one really is probably too early. Um. I, you know, given given the lead time for these and press and all that sort of thing, I can imagine they really hadn't had a chance to go often enough to make it worthwhile. Um, and I guess the one I didn't call out because I've just given up on it is that Giant got ignored, but Giant is clearly not on their radar. So, yeah. well, Monteverde is another one that that yeah. ignored. <laughs> Astonishing, and Monteverde didn't get a bib either. And that's just like, and once again, Monteverde is one of those places kind of like I mentioned about fat rice, where you actually can go for a reasonably priced right. meal because it's pasta-focused. You actually can go within the bib guidelines to Monteverde, and they've loved Sarah's food before because they gave her a Michelin star at Spiaggia. So I've never understood why that one doesn't get attention um, unless they think, you know, humble pasta-based Italian cuisine is just not Michelin-worthy. You know, there isn't really a great Italian... Is there a great Italian restaurant on this list that I'm forgetting about? I don't think so. There's only Spiaggia, I think. Yeah, and that's sort of the obvious one. Um, though, once again, they've, they've, to their credit, managed to keep their star through a bunch of different chefs. And, you know, good, more power to them. Is there anywhere else we, we think, holy crap, how dumb could they possibly be to have missed this? And, you know, I don't know that there's any off the top of my head. You know, there are obviously a lot of great neighborhood restaurants that they don't pay much attention to. You know, if we, if we compare the sort of national conversation 
and the, the Michelin conversation, right? You know, it's not surprising to me to see some of the things getting national acclaim also getting Michelin acclaim. So, like, obviously, Elska has gotten a lot of national attention in the past couple of years. You know, Parachute got a lot of national attention when it's opened. You know, uh, Kumiko obviously gets a ton of national attention right now. It is a little weird to me that Virtue ended up on the bib list just because of the, once again, the sheer amount of national attention it's getting. People seem to think it's really worthy. Um, that said, I don't know that it's on the same sort of fine dining level as the other places on this list. So I'm not going to say I'm surprised, but once again, it's a little odd. Yeah, I mean, the the obvious one that at least is missing from the bibs, although I'd have, it, to me it's a one-star restaurant, uh, would be uh, the Bristol and has been for many years. I mean, that's Yeah, just they've a, just never really gotten love from Michelin. They never have, not a bit. Um I'm just is Purple Pig on it? I can't remember now. It, on the bibs. Nah, I don't know. I think I it was on the bibs. I think it was on the bibs at one time. Um, yeah, I mean, there. To me, that's the strength of the Chicago dining scene: is how good a sixty-dollar meal can be, as opposed to a two hundred-dollar yeah. meal. And Michelin just doesn't appreciate that much. They'll go for it in certain genres a bit but they'll just as easily overlook it. They want you to have the full white tablecloth experience, however much they deny that. They sort of grudgingly accept that things are done differently here than in France, but they don't accept that much of it. <laughs> right. And I mean, I, once again, I, I, I've been cynical about Michelin for a long time, but you know, we should give them their due. If you look at the list of stars, if you, could, you could do much worse than eating at the list of starred restaurants in Chicago, whether it represents the scene or not. I think your point is that it doesn't. Does it represent the kinds of restaurants that the people who follow Michelin stars for their dining choices want to be dining in? Yeah, they are brand consistent. They are, they are, these are the sort of places where if you are a sort of wealthy, out-of-town person who wants to make sure you have a very particular experience whenever you go to any city, uh, then follow the Michelin stars. I would argue that that's kind of like staying in the Hilton every city yes and probably eating in the hilton right it's not and well which which is once again not to say that it would be bad it may be staying in the hilton might be very very good it's just not going to be authentic to that space yeah. uh and i think what we're both complaining about as people who love chicago dining is that you know if all you did was follow the michelin star list you wouldn't necessarily get the most comprehensive feel of what makes chicago chicago Luckily, those of us who live here aren't bound to only go to the restaurants on the star list. And these places that we're talking about that are amazing and overlooked are probably not going to close because they didn't get a Michelin star. This has been a Fooditor special report. Thanks to my guest, Anthony Todd. Music is by Kevin McLeod.